pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray this term as we look at the book of Colossians, that uh, you will use it to encourage us uh, and challenge us to keep following Jesus, to keep trusting him, to keep living for him. Uh, and we pray, especially as we start looking at it tonight, you'll help us uh, to concentrate on understanding it correctly, uh, but especially to be open to having it change us and challenge us and encourage us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most Christians uh, have a person or, uh, or people sometimes who uh, were sort of instrumental in them coming to faith. So I don't know who that was for you. I mean, it's Jesus who saves us, but, uh, but God in his grace uses people like us, ordinary people like us, to bring people to faith in Jesus. So uh, I wonder who it was for you, who invited you to church for the first time, who uh, first shared the message of the gospel with you. For some people, praise God, it's their mum and dad. Uh, who raised them to know Jesus. Sometimes when I ask people, oh, could you share your story? Could you share your testimony? They say, oh, you don't want to hear mine. It's pretty boring. My mum and dad read the Bible with me when I was one, and since then I've never known it. They, they're the best stories. That's, that's my prayer for, for people in our church. This morning, in kids, because our kids' church are looking at Colossians as well, uh, I saw some kids brought back a picture, and it, they, they had to draw a picture. I think it was in the Minimites or something like that. They had to draw a picture of uh, who was it who's been influential for them in them following Jesus? And it was all these pictures of mum and dad. Isn't that great? I reckon mums, there must have been a few mums and dads, for that matter, choking up uh, over lunch today when they saw that. Uh, but who was it for you? Who was like your spiritual father or mother? Uh, for me, it was a guy I went to school with who had the courage right near the end of school to ask me along to church in a very 17-year-old bloke sort of way. Want to come to church? <laughs> yeah, you doing anything on Sunday? Yeah, it's all like that. Uh, and he set the ball rolling for me. I started coming back to church and I started reading the Bible again. And after years of not doing that, and my brother, who a bit later than that, when I was going off to uni, and he just sort of gently suggested to me that maybe I should join a Bible study group if I was really a Christian. And that then meant I said, so, well, hang on, I better work out, am I a Christian? And again, I started reading the Bible and I decided I had to work out, was Jesus who he says he was? So maybe tonight after church, share who it was or is for you. I think it'd be so encouraging if we, we'd have hundreds of people just to thank God, for, because sometimes it's lots of people. Uh, and maybe share that after church tonight, who was that person. For the church in this uh, little town of Colossae, uh, which is this, where this letter was written to, most of them had one spiritual father. So most of them had become Christians as we pieced together the New Testament uh, because of a guy called Epaphras. Because you see, unlike some of the other churches you read about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul hadn't gone to this place and preached the gospel. Peter hadn't gone there and preached the gospel. John hadn't gone there and preached the gospel. Now, what had happened was this guy, Epaphras, just happened one day to be in Ephesus and he heard Paul preaching and he became a Christian. And then he did what you do if you've become a Christian. He went back home and he said to everyone in Colossae, I've heard something incredible, you need to know it too. He just couldn't keep the good news to himself. He shared it and people became Christians and here was this church, which is how the gospel works, isn't it? That's just how the gospel works. If you come to know that Jesus is the Lord, if you come to know that he has died for your sins, if you come to know that he is risen and because of that you have the hope of eternal life, then you share it. By definition, if you know the gospel, you want to share the gospel. And that's what Epaphras did, and this little church grew. But now, a few years later, 
The Apostle Paul is in Rome uh, and he's under house arrest, he's in prison and Epaphras is one of the people who visits him. It must have been really encouraging. This guy who had become a Christian through him in Ephesus comes and visits him in Rome and Epaphras shares with him what God has been doing in his hometown. And you can imagine how encouraging that was for Paul, hearing about these Christians who Paul has never met. They're like his, his spiritual grandchildren, if you like. So they're the people who he led to the Lord, now they've led these people to the Lord. And so he writes them this letter to encourage them to keep following Christ. And that's why Colossians is so great for us to study. Uh, it's the book I read with someone when they've become a Christian. I generally read one of the Gospels with them. And, and after they've become a Christian, I read Colossians with them. Uh, and that's because what Paul is doing here he is writing this to help Christians like us keep following Jesus till the very end of our lives. That's what it's about. It's to encourage us to keep following Jesus right to the end. And you see that over at chapter 2, verse 6. Jump over there now. Uh, or I think I've put it on your outline as well. That's, uh, that's why he wrote this letter. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So he's saying, I didn't share the gospel with you. You've already received Christ Jesus as Lord. But then he says, Now walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. You see, what he wants them to do is he wants them to keep following Jesus. He wants them to keep living for Jesus. And that's what this letter is going to do for us this term here at church, as we look at it together, it's going to encourage us to keep walking in Christ, to keep trusting Christ, to keep living for Him. That's our prayer as we look at it together. So let's get into it. Uh, and like most letters, it starts with a greeting. We often just skip over the greetings. You know, when I send you an email, when you read it, uh, you, you, I hope you read it. But anyway, maybe I live in hope and faith. But uh, you just skip over the dear whoever and you skip over at the end, you know, kind regards, Phil. Uh, it, here it's worth looking at because it reminds us how important this is. So look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Timothy our brother. Now straight away we learn something really, really important here. And that is this letter is not just from some random Christian brother. That would be, that'd be encouraging. That would be exciting to, be, to have a letter from a Christian brother to, to encourage us. But it's not. It is from an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is someone sent in the name of. When Paul speaks as an apostle, he speaks on behalf of Jesus. And he hasn't put himself in that position. Sometimes you go, I've been to churches, and, and the minister says, I'm Apostle Phil. And you know, I'm going to find another church now. Because they're not an apostle. They haven't been put in that position by God's will. Paul was chosen by God to speak on behalf of Jesus. Sometimes people try to separate out the bits of the Bible they want to listen to and those they don't want to listen to. So sometimes people sort of say, uh, one of their favourite strategies is, oh, that was only Paul that said that. Jesus didn't say that, that was only Paul. If someone says that, they are a false teacher and stop listening to them. You see, it's nonsense when Paul spoke, or when Peter spoke for that matter, or when John spoke, when they spoke as an apostle... Their word comes with the authority of Jesus, by the will of God. It's one of the reasons it's really, really hard these days to get a Bible that is not a red-letter Bible. Do you find that? I really dislike red-letter Bibles, but they're the only ones I can find that aren't like $300, so I buy them anyway. And 
sort of go against my conscience, but red letter Bibles are really unhelpful because they're suggesting to you that the words of Jesus are more important than the words of Paul or the words of David or the words... No, it is all God's Word. And that means you listen carefully, doesn't it? When something comes to us from an apostle by the will of God, we hang on every word. And we change what we think to fit in with what he says. We don't say, I don't know whether I agree with that. No, no, no. You say, I will change what I think to agree with what he says. So what, who is the apostle writing to? That's what it's from. Who's he writing? Look at verse 2. It says, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers. Now, you might read that and think he's writing just to the super-Christians, because sadly, that's the way the word saints has been taken and abused over 2,000 years by the church. People think a saint is someone who's lived an extra special life and maybe performed a miracle or two. That's what a saint is. Well, that's not true. That, that idea that there are some super-Christians and then there are other normal Christians is a terrible distortion of the gospel. You are a saint if you trust in Christ. Anyone who trusts in Christ is a saint. So when he writes to the saints in Colossae, he's meaning to all my Christian brothers and sisters in this place. You see, because you are a saint because God has declared you to be holy. That's what it is, to be a saint. Saint just means holy one. And you are holy, not because you've lived this incredible life and earned it, you are holy because Jesus has died in your place. And so you have been set apart by God and for God's service. We are the saints at St. George North. So if we were, someone was writing a letter to us here, that's what they would call us. You are, we are, the saints at St. George North, the holy people of God here don't ever forget how holy and precious you are to God. And that's because we, what does it say there? It says we are faithful. That is, we believe in Christ. We trust in Jesus, the one who died for us and for our forgiveness. So just like the Colossian Christians, if you want to know what we are as a church, we are God's holy people. We have been set apart in Christ for His service because we trust in Jesus. Do not ever forget how special it is be a part of the saints at St. George North. And then, of course, we read his actual greeting. We're still in the greeting. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That is the most wonderful Christian blessing or greeting. If you want to greet your brothers and sisters in Christ, say that, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The reason it's so wonderful is, is because what do you want for all these people around you more than anything else. I pray what you want is that they would know and understand God's grace. That is God's unearned love, God's unmerited favour, most wonderfully God's grace shown to us in the death of His Son. That's what you want for people. They would know and experience God's grace and then that they would know peace with God. It's not peace of mind. God is not saying, uh, Paul is not saying to them here, uh, I, I hope you have a good night's sleep. I hope you feel peaceful. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually talking about that instead of being at war with God, you will know that you have peace with God. You are no longer God's enemies. You are his dearly loved children. Again, because of the death of Jesus. That's what we want for people, grace and peace. Perhaps make a change this week, even on your work emails. I'll leave that with you. But, you know, instead of putting kind regards at the end, write grace and peace. 
And see if people ask you, why, why, what do you, what's that greeting? It's a wonderful greeting, grace and peace from God our Father. But that's all just the greetings. We're not past the dear Fred, kind regards Phil point yet. Uh, now we come to the letter itself and it starts with thanks. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? If you sit down and think, what, what is it that I want to give thanks to God for? What would, you, what would you do? At our prayer meetings this week, we're having prayer meeting here on Wednesday night. Troy's going to tell us about a bit later on. One of the things we're going to do is together, right across everyone here, there'll be over 100 people here, we're just going to spend time saying, what are we thankful to God for? And we're going to give thanks to God for loads of things. And the reason we do that is thankfulness is the mark of being a Christian. Do you know the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian? There's lots. But one of the key ones is thankfulness to God. When Paul is describing the essence of sin in the book of Romans... He says, and they did not give thanks to God. Because the essence of sin is to take all of God's good things in this creation and say, I'm not going to give the thanks to the one who's given them to us. And so actually the heart of being a Christian is saying, I haven't got this because I've earned it. I haven't got this because I deserve it. I've got this because God has given it to me. So thankfulness is one of the marks of being a Christian. You recognise it is God who gives us all good things. And so Paul starts by sharing how thankful he is for these Christians. Look at verse 3. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And here, he is especially thankful for what Epaphras has told him about these Christians. He doesn't know them, remember. He's going off what Epaphras has told him. And Epaphras has told him, they are genuinely converted, saved Christians. That's why he gives thanks to God for them. And he knows they are saved Christians because he sees the three key marks, or he hears about the three key marks of what it is to be a Christian in their life. Now, what are those three key marks? The first is faith. Look at verse 4. He says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Everything else is irrelevant if you do not have faith in Christ. Everything else is irrelevant. No one can please God apart from faith in Christ. People say, oh, but I've done all these good things. But you haven't done the thing most fundamental to God, which is recognise His Son for who He is. So the first mark of a Christian is faith in Christ Jesus. So what did that mean? They had come to believe in Jesus Christ. They had come to believe that He is the Son of God. They'd come to believe that He died for their sins. They'd come to believe that he had risen from the dead. That is the faith he's heard about in them and he gives thanks to God for. And we should thank God for the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ here, shouldn't we? Just look around you. Look around you now. How wonderful is it that the person next to you has come to know Jesus and has faith in Christ? It's the most wonderful thing. There is nothing more important. Thank God for that person. Make a note. If you're a note taker, I'm going to thank God for the person next to me. If you're married to them or something. Yeah, anyway, you know. Uh, I mean other people. How wonderful is it? But also collectively, how wonderful is it that all of these people here have come to know Jesus and have faith in Christ? It is worth thanking God for. But he hasn't just heard about their faith. He's also heard about their second thing, their love. Look at the rest of verse 4. He says, and of the love you have for all the saints. See, Paul is thankful that theirs is actually a true and living faith. 
It's not just a lip service faith, because true faith shows itself in love. It, it flows out in love. And the key words there, it's really important, that phrase there, for all the saints. That is, he's not just thankful that they have a loving outlook on life. He's not just thankful that they love their family and their friends. If I can be a bit cynical, he's not thankful that, that they, you know, tick, I support the refugees on Facebook. He's thankful that they actually practically and carefully and sacrificially love all the saints, that is, their brothers and sisters in Christ, the people God has brought them together with in the church of God. Not just the ones like them. See, true Christian love in the first century was when the Jew loved the Gentile, even though from birth they'd been told to hate one another. True Christian love is when the slave loves the master. When people sacrificially care for and look out for people they would never otherwise even give the time of day to, just because that person is my brother or sister in Christ. That is the love he was giving thanks to God for. If we wanted to expand on this here, Paul would have said, I love the way you are committed to one another. He would have said, I love the way you care for one another when you're going through tough times. I love the way you know one another well enough and share one another's lives enough that you're able to care for one another in the midst of difficulty. Not just because that's a wonderful thing to see and it makes you a wonderful church. No, I love it because faith and love show me that you are genuinely converted. When I see that in your life, when I see your faith and I see your love, I know you are saved. But of course, there's a third mark of the genuine Christian that Paul is thankful for, and that is their hope. Look again from verse 4. He says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. As Christians, we look forward to something incredible. We, we look forward to, to something more incredible than anything else you could look forward to. I don't know, what are you looking forward to this year? Is anyone looking forward to anything this year? Most Australians, it seems to me, sort of put up with their work and look forward to their next holiday. Sort of the sad existence of the Australian human being, that, that all we look forward to is time off doing what we always do so I can have a holiday. And, and that's nice, it's nice to look forward to a holiday. I don't know when my next holiday is, but I'll look forward to it. I look forward to the start of the football season. You know, that's when the real year gets underway, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know, what do you look forward to? Whatever it is, it pales into insignificance with what you should look forward to more than anything else. And that is that one day Jesus will come back. As Christians, we should live every day saying, that is what I long to happen today. I want Jesus to return because on that day, we will be raised to life with him and we will become a part of his kingdom forever without sin and pain and death and suffering. That is the hope reserved for you. And nothing can take it away from you. That is the Christian hope. And it's because of that hope that we live by faith now. And it's because of that hope that we say, now I will love and serve Jesus. I imagine Epaphras had told Paul stories about how people were putting up with all sorts of rubbish in their lives now, suffering on behalf of Jesus... Because they said, I am looking forward to my hope in Christ. I imagine Epaphras shared stories of people giving things up now. Because they said, my treasure is in heaven with my Lord Jesus. That's how you see the Christian hope in people. 
when you see people not living for this world anymore, but living for Christ and His return, living for heaven. If we just think about our church now, our church here, this group of saints, this is what we should be looking for in ourselves and in our church. When on Wednesday night we say, what should we give thanks to God for? I hope you say, I want to give thanks to God for the faith I see in my brothers and sisters here, for the love I see in my brothers and sisters here and for the hope I see in my brothers and sisters here. And more than that, it's what we should pray God would grow more and more amongst us, that we would grow in faith, grow in love, grow in hope. That's what I pray for you. But other than if you've only very recently come to church here, and if you've very recently come to church here, welcome. It's great to have you with us. But other than that, uh, I would be very disappointed if you've heard more than four sermons here at St George North and you have heard anything new tonight. I would be really disappointed if anything I've said tonight about grace and peace and faith and hope and love is new to you. Because that means I haven't been preaching clearly enough. I've been on holidays, it's Troy's fault. No, um, <laughs> but, uh, that was a joke. Anyway, for the tape. But it's not new, I hope, for you, because it's the very fundamentals of the gospel, isn't it? This is the basics of the gospel. And Paul says to the Colossians, he says, you already know this. He says, I am not telling you anything new. Look at verse 5. He says, you have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And then down at verse 7, he says, this is what Epaphras taught you. Look at verse 7. He says, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. Sometimes Christians get bored with the gospel. Sometimes, it sounds terrible, but it's true. They get bored with church and hearing the same message about Jesus. They think, I need a deeper message. I need a, a new teaching. I've got this sort of faith, love and hope stuff. Now I need more. Give, give me a deeper message. Now, in my experience, people who say that generally haven't got the faith, love and hope stuff. But they think they have. And so their itching ears find someone to teach them something new, some new insight, some new deeper gospel, some better message. That is not what Paul wants for these Christians or for us. For them to keep following Jesus and for us to keep following Jesus, we don't need some new next level of teaching. We just need to keep being reminded and keep plumbing the depths of the message we already know. See, he wants us to stick with, what does he call it there? The message of truth, the gospel you first came to know. That's what Paul wants. That is that message about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he is risen from the dead and one day he will come back to raise us from the dead and to live forever with him. And here's the thing, that message of truth, the gospel about Jesus... That simple message is actually the most powerful thing in the world. Look at what he says at verse 6. He says, That gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognised God's grace in the truth. The spread of the gospel is the most incredible phenomenon in the history of the world. Secular historians can't account for it. I was reading one non-Christian historian and he was talking about how on earth did the gospel go from 12 uneducated men 
in, in Jerusalem who were scared for their lives to basically taking over the whole world. How did that happen? And he said, there's no way of accounting for it. The, I felt like ringing him up if I knew his number and saying, well, there is a way to account for it. It's called the resurrection of Jesus. But the thing is, he couldn't come to that view because that's unbelievable. See, Islam spread by the sword. You can explain the spread of Islam. It's very simple. It's die or convert. And so people converted. Christianity spread with no pressure. It spread by word of mouth. Wherever the gospel is preached, it bears fruit and it grows. This seemingly weak message is actually unstoppable and explosive and it changes the world. Just think about what I said there, the first century. Within 30 years from Jesus' resurrection, 12 scared men had grown into the biggest movement in the history of humanity. Within 30 years, by 64 AD, there were churches and Christians in every town of the known world of that time, from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond. But more than that, it was bearing fruit in people. It was changing people, not just the fruit of converts, but the fruit of changed people. People who were growing in love, people who were growing in selflessness, people who were growing in holiness. That is the impact of the true gospel. That is its power. And the gospel is doing the same today. Sadly, in the West, people think they know the gospel and don't need to hear it. But in Africa and in South America and in China, especially at the moment, there are people becoming Christian. The gospel is going out and bearing fruit like you would not believe. But the thing is, it is still doing it here, isn't it? Every year here, we have the great joy of seeing people hear the gospel and recognizing God's grace in the truth. And we see also the way it bears fruit in the lives of us Christians and changes us. Don't ever be tempted to move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever be tempted to think you need something else, something other than that wonderful, simple message because it is God's power to save. And what's really amazing is that God uses weak people like me and you to share it. I think that's incredible. That's why I love the way Paul says there in verse 7, look at verse 7, he talks about how this world-changing, people-changing message, he says, and you learned it from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. The reason I love that verse is because I think Paul can seem like a superhero to us. If I say, follow the example of Paul, you say, yeah, but Paul was an apostle. Paul had a vision from God on the road to Damascus. I haven't had any of that. But Epaphras is just like you and me. He is an average guy who heard the gospel, he believed it, and then he thought, well, I better go and share that with the people I know and love. I started off by asking you to think about who was your Epaphras. As we close, I wonder if you have ever had that great joy of being Epaphras for someone else. Can I tell you, it is better than any other experience in the world to have the privilege of being the person who shares the gospel with someone and seeing them come to know Jesus and find salvation. How wonderful it would be in heaven when someone says, I am here, I'm saved, I'm in heaven, I'm in eternity with Jesus because you invited me to church. I'm here because you invited me to Christianity Explained. Or I'm here because when I walked into church that first time, you smiled at me and said, can I sit with you? and welcome me, and then I heard the gospel preached. My prayer for us all this year is we might all know that joy of being Epaphras for someone else. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful message of the gospel, that wonderful, simple message, and we thank you for those who first shared it with us. And we thank you that because we know Jesus, we have the certain hope of eternal life. And Father, we pray that we would never tire of that simple message, but instead we would long to know it more and more and deeper and deeper. But Father, we pray also that you would use us like you used Epaphras to share that good news with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.